Well, welcome to Thursday nights here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. If you're joining us online, live stream or Facebook, you're welcome to be a part of the family as well. I want to personally encourage you, invite somebody out next Thursday night. It's not often that you get a Dove award-winning group like the Katinas and to do Christmas music for you. So uh, make sure, invite a few friends coming out. It's probably going to be pretty packed. They usually draw a pretty good crowd. So uh, join us for that. Got lots of things going on for Christmas season. And I pray that you're encouraged and strengthened and built up. I want to begin tonight by reminding you of what the Apostle Paul said as he wrote to his young understudy, Timothy. As he authored the second letter to Timothy, he reminded him in chapter 1, verse 7 there, that God's not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God hasn't given the church, individual believers, people who know the Lord, a spirit of fear, but he has given us one of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the reason that's important is because as we look at the prophetic word of God, as we've begun this journey uh, here in the book of Isaiah, it begins with this indictment against the nations. It is going to Continue all the way through the book, the theme of the book, if you will, is Messiah. We serve a God of love, but that God of love is also holy, and he is righteous, and he will one day make good on all of the promises he's made, including one day dealing with sin permanently. And as we get to chapter 2, we now shift gears. We're going to advance. And the reason this is important is because we're going to get a glimpse of the millennial kingdom. A little tidbit, if you will, ahead of time. Because in the remainder of the book, as we journey through, we're going to see all these incredible messianic prophecies that will tell us of the coming Messiah. And of course, the Messiah is going to bring the age of grace. It's going to bring salvation by grace and through faith. We're going to be encouraged and strengthened, but interspersed in between the good news is the bad news. Because the gospel itself is not the true gospel unless the gospel contains also the bad news about sin. If one doesn't recognize one as a sinner, then one doesn't need a savior. Amen? And so we're going to now step forward. We're going to move in time. And we are going to go so far as to pass where we are tonight. Chapter 2 gets a glimpse of the millennial kingdom that's yet to come. Before that happens, there's all kinds of things that are going to occur in the world's history. I was looking at news articles today. And as I'm sitting here thinking about all the things that have to happen, that the, when the Lord is going to take the church home, the rapture is going to come. One of those things is, of course, Israel has to be back in the land, which it is. It has to speak its own native tongue, which it does. It has to become a power in the earth, which it is. Israel has just announced today they're the eighth most powerful nation in the world. A country that's 9.2 million people in total. The square miles of which is smaller than the state of New Jersey. This little tiny nation back in the land and yet arrayed against it enemies on every side 
And now those enemies are being fed things like cruise missiles, which just went on the ground today in Lebanon. To give you an idea of what that looks like from our perspective, that would be the equivalent of someone establishing an enemy base in Tijuana. The launch time for a cruise missile from Tijuana to downtown L.A., launch to landing is probably less than a minute. There's a lot of things going on in the world. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But he has given us a spirit of a sound mind. We need to know what's going on in our world so that we can be busy about our father's business in these last days. And so chapter 2 is a bit of a preview of the future glory of the nation Israel. Would you pray, pray with me? Father, thank you what you said about coming the coming of the king the messiah the first time what you promised there in chapter 7 what you promised in chapter 9 that one day a child would be born and a son would be given that he would be called the prince of peace jesus you came the first time and the same book that tells of your first coming tells of your second coming and tells of the millennial reign when you reign as king over all the earth. And so, Lord, we pray that you prepare our hearts, encourage us, and strengthen us, Lord, through understanding your word. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 1, Isaiah chapter 2, and we're going to take the whole chapter tonight. The word of the Lord that Isaiah the son of Amos saw. Please circle that. It's a vision. He didn't hear about it. He didn't think about it. This is a vision from the Lord. He sees these things in his mind's eye. This is more than just a couple of thoughts strung together. This is a mental picture concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Again, remind yourself of the history of the time. The ten northern tribes have been taken captive in Assyria. The Babylonians have come, and they're now besieging Jerusalem the children of Israel are under tremendous threat. Um, they not only are going to be taken captive, but they will be dispersed into the world. And it really will not be until 1948 that one could say they're actually brought back into the land. They're, they're going to be scattered. They will go through time after time after time after time after time again of walking with the Lord and walking away from the Lord doing what God wants and doing exactly what God doesn't want them to do. God says, if you continue to do that, I'm going to disperse you. God was faithful to keep that promise. He dispersed the Jewish people, but he was also faithful to do exactly what Ezekiel 37 reminds us, to gather them together, to put sinew back on the skeletons and to raise them up. He's done that part already. Notice what this now says. It shall come to pass in the last days. Again, circle that phrase. Because throughout the prophetic writings of the Old Testament prophets, when you're speaking of things eschatological, those things which are things to come, 
And for them, they were very distant. For us, they're still distant, but they're on the horizon for us. They were two and a half thousand years later for them, if you were looking at today. In the last days, or in the latter days, and in this case, you have to distinguish between the beginning of the last days, which began at the birth of Christ, and the very end of the last days, which will begin with the rapture of the church, followed by the tribulation, followed by the second coming of the Lord, followed by the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Christ. That intervening time from Christ to today, if the church were taken home, we call the age of grace. But truly, the last days began when Jesus came the first time. It was the beginning of the end, if you will, because he came to seek and save that which is lost. Amen? He came to destroy sin and death. Amen? That is ultimately going to happen when God himself sends Jesus back to this earth to fight one pivotal battle after the world has been in chaos for seven years. We call it the Battle of Armageddon. It's pictured there in the book of Revelation. It really is the focus, the tribulation of those last days from Revelation 6 to chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. It's this period of time. Following that, our king is going to reign in Jerusalem. Amen? And he's going to do so for a thousand years. So when you say last days, from the time that Isaiah wrote these, he could actually be saying the last days are just ahead. But for us, the last days are almost here. The very last days. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. And so Isaiah takes a step forward from this bleak time that the children of Israel are actually walking in from this mess that is the, the nation Israel to a time that's going to be bright, to a time that the prophets will go on to say, specifically the prophet Zechariah, that they are actually going to see the one whom they pierced. They're going to understand who Messiah is. They will look upon him and they'll recognize that this in fact is Messiah the king. And as they recognize this, finally Israel is going to come to their senses. And ever since Abraham walked on this earth, all Jewish people have had an opportunity to have faith. All have been offered the opportunity to be saved. But as Jesus came and finished that plan of salvation, now it comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's been the hard part. That's been the difficult part for the Jewish person who wants to be a believer because it's no longer simply believing in God, it's believing in Jesus Christ the Lord. But there's going to come a point in time when the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church at Rome in chapter 11, that all Israel will be saved. Israel's going to finally see Messiah. And so Isaiah is writing of that very last period of time. And he's speaking about a day and a time that for us is still future. If you've traveled to Israel or if you 
sign up with us. We should be publishing our next Israel trip, which we, it looks like it's going to be in the fall of 2020. Uh, as you travel to Jerusalem, you're going to find out that there's nothing exalted about the Temple Mount, about Mount Zion. It's actually below Mount Scopus. One could even say it almost sits in a valley. It's actually a mountaintop. It's a little tiny hill. And the Temple Mount was on Mount Zion. But the Bible says in the very last days, because there's no temple there today, there's three mosques. There's actually four now. They've opened an underground mosque in Solomon's stables just recently. But there is no Jewish house of worship called the temple. But Ezekiel said in the very last days, these same last days, there's going to be a third temple on the Temple Mount. The Jewish people can't wait. They're excavating the Western Wall right now. They keep getting in trouble. They keep digging underneath the actual temple platform. Every once in a while, they'll pull out the cornerstone, put it on a flatbed truck, and drive it around Jerusalem. They're ready. The temple implements have been made. They're ready. But that temple isn't there. The Bible is very specific that there's going to be a literal temple on a literal temple mount. And we're going to see exactly what's going to happen when that happens. And many people shall go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And that word people seems to indicate the peoples of the entire world. Let us go to the house of the God of Jacob, and he shall teach us his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now remember when he's writing. He's writing during the Babylonian captivity. Herod's temple in 70 AD would be destroyed completely. Every stone, just as Jesus said, just as Jesus prophesied, standing on the Mount of Olives. He said, I, I say to you, Jerusalem, O oh Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets. I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathered her chick, but you would not come. I say to you, not one stone will be left on top of that mount until the Lord comes again. He's already there. He left, and he's coming again. Amen? So the only way the word of the Lord can go forth from Jerusalem from an exalted place on a temple mount is if there's a temple and the Muslims lose control of the temple mount. Right now it is actually the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan that controls the temple mount. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem actually is the only one that can allow access There's no Jewish place of worship on the Temple Mount today. Actually, the Jews are by and large banned from even being up there. Occasionally, a few get to go. And so, this passage is future still today. Revelation chapter 1 Verses 5 through 7, for unto him who loved us, he gave himself and has made us into priests and kings. It goes on to say that he that overcomes 
Uh, that would be anyone who believes in Jesus. Amen. I will grant that he shall sit with me on my throne in my kingdom as I have sat down at my father's throne in heaven or my father's kingdom's throne. And they shall rule over all of the earth with a rod of iron. So it's speaking of a day and time when believers will flock to Jerusalem. Jesus will preach the word. He'll teach the Bible studies himself. In other words, that would be kind of cool. Go to Jerusalem, have Jesus do a Bible study. Amen. There's a time coming when that's going to happen. And this passage, as you read it here in the book of Revelation, notice what it goes on to say. Worthy is the lamb to take the scroll and loose the seals. For he was slain and redeemed us by, the blood, by his blood out of all the nations and tribes and tongues and the people. And he's made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign with him, notice what it says, upon the earth. There's going to come a point in time when Jesus is going to come back, establish a literal throne in Jerusalem, in a literal temple, be preaching the word, and all you all who love him are going to be right there with him. But I can tell you that's not today. That isn't going to happen tomorrow. Because the Bible gives us a whole bunch of details about the intervening time between the very end of the last days to the time of that day. And while we do not know when it's going to happen, we do know what's going to happen before it happens. And that's the content, largely, of the rest of this chapter. Imagine Jesus himself teaching his word from Jerusalem. Anybody want to go to that church? I'm leaving. You're going to be pastorless. I'm going to that church. Jesus is preaching, I'm in. We'll be there with him. Verse 4, Isaiah 2. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And boy, I cannot wait, given what goes on in our world every moment of every day today, that they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn of war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. That day's coming. That day's coming. You see, sometimes we read these passages and it's, we, we allegorize them. Or we make them a metaphor. We turn them into something that I don't believe God intended. I believe God is making a literal promise. I don't believe that we should look at these things as being fulfilled in our hearts right now. And the reason I say that, there's never been a time ever in human history when this has occurred. There is not peace on earth and there is not goodwill to men even though the king has come. And in fact, since the king has come, the world has just simply gotten better at killing each other. You know, we sometimes bag on the Romans. 
More people died under starvation from Stalin than all of the wars previously in human history. Let's get real about it. More Jews died in the Holocaust than all of the other deaths in the Second World War. More people were wounded in the Second World War than in the course of human history previous to that point. So what did we do at the end of the Second World War? We ultimately end up creating the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. We're going to protect the world from war. Are we protected from war? Are our military budgets shrinking? Globally last year, the world spent $1.7 trillion on making war. That is enough money to feed the entire population of the world at least two times over. At least two times over. Our own military budget... And this is our budget that we talk about, not our budget we don't talk about. And we have a budget we don't talk about, okay, just so you know. It was $639 billion. So when the prophet Isaiah says they're going to learn to make war no more, and you look at the world, you have to say, mm, that's not this week. That's got to be some other time nor could it have been any time in the last 2,500 years because there hasn't been a period of time of peace that is global. Of the nations of the earth, at least 130 of them have troops somewhere on the battlefield, whether as police keep, peacekeeping forces in other, other countries or in their own land. That's about 67% of the world. So Isaiah is giving us a glimpse of the future. He's saying, look, I want you to understand this. Because especially when I talk to young people, it's a little bit dismal right now for young people. We're spending, I, I think I saw the number of somewhere around $24 billion on some new nuclear submarines. Now I'm all for defending our country. But we have the capacity to wipe out the rest of the world several times over already. Make no mistake about it. With the submarines we already have. So we are not learning to make war no more. We're actually making more war than we had before. We have more war-making capacity around the globe than has ever existed in human history. We spend more resources than ever in human history per GDP, gross domestic pot product of every nation on the earth. We spend more money on ways to kill other people than we do on feeding the hungry. Does that shock you a little bit? It's no wonder that the prophet looking ahead saw this, a time when Jesus would rule and reign and there would be no more war. I can't wait. I can't wait the capital city of the world is going to be Jerusalem one day. There won't be any VX neurotoxins. There won't be sarin gas. There won't be anthrax being 
blown into your office through the vents in your air conditioning system. There, there isn't going to be a neutron bomb, a hydrogen bomb, or any other kind of bomb when the Prince of Peace rules and reigns in Jerusalem. That is a day to look forward to. And so he's speaking to the children of Israel saying, when you see all these things happen, don't lose heart. Because there's a day coming when God's going to make it so there is no more war. They were sick to death of war. Just like we're sick to death of war today. I talk to people all the time, and, and it doesn't matter. I'm so sick of people being pitted one against another because of a jackass or an elephant, because of a blue or a red. When God sees us as his precious children, every last one of us, and he's sick to death of us killing each other, And we can sit here and make all kinds of political reasons why we do the things we do, but that is not God's plan. God's allowed for governments to carry out the things they need to do to protect their citizens. That is true. But there's going to come a point in time when God's going to say, enough. No more war games. What's this preface to this prophecy? And I want you to see this. Because it's the last days, because it is the future, and because it's the end of the age of grace, there is an assumption here, and it's based on what the scriptures actually tell us. That one day, Jesus is going to sound a trumpet, and we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with him in the air, forever to be with the Lord, as the apostle Paul reminds us writing to the church at Thessalonica. So the church is going to be taken home. And then as we're studying on Sunday night, we're about to get there. We're in chapter 7 now. In chapter 9, we're going to find out there's going to be a 70th week to Daniel's prophecy. The time is called the time of Jacob's trouble. The tribulation, the first three and a half of which will be a time when the Antichrist rises up manages to forge a peace treaty, an alliance with Russia and its allies who have come against Israel, which guess who is coming against Israel right now? Russia and its allies. Those are Iranian cruise missiles that are in Lebanon right now. But guess whose design they are? They're Russian. God says that in the very last days, He's going to himself defend the nation Israel. Because the Antichrist will have made a peace treaty. He will renege on that peace treaty. And then war breaks out all over the earth. You see what's going to happen next. There's something that we should care about deeply because we're going to be there. The prophet Isaiah is going to speak to it again in chapter 11, Ezekiel 36, 37, 40, and 48, the millennial temple, these things that happened during that time. But until the middle of the fifth century or so, almost with no exceptions, 
the church believed that there would be a millennial reign of Christ. It wasn't until about the middle of the fifth century that people started going, well, you know, it's been 500 years. We don't know about this whole millennial thing. So they started to allegorize it, make it symbolic that there would just be times of peace and times of war. The only problem is there are 497 verses that specifically talk about a time of peace that comes from Messiah. And they're not allegorical because it talks about literal war, literal places, literal countries, nations, alliances, those who will fight and those who will be killed. And here's the crazy thing. Still hasn't come to pass because the nations listed have never banded together until now. So there is going to come a time when these things are going to come to fruition. The Lord's going to return a second time. And as he does so, he's going to make those of us who are here and those of us who are coming with him from heaven... Uh, The central point of all of this is going to be the temple of the Lord that will be visible there in Jerusalem. People will have an an honor again for Jerusalem. Right now, Jerusalem is like a joke. If you have National Geographic, if you read this month's National Geographic, there's a whole, the central article in there, the cover piece, if you will, is about all the stuff that's going on underneath Jerusalem right now. Because there's so much fighting on the surface of the city of Jerusalem over who controls what that in order to do archaeology, they're basically mining underneath the Temple Mount and down through the city of David trying to find all these places that the Jews used to live. And every time they dig something up that seems to indicate, doesn't seem to, does indicate that the Jewish people have inhabited that land for thousands of years, the whole world throws an uproar. Some new measure is brought on the floor of the UN condemning Israel for digging underneath Palestinian villages. And while every care should be taken for those that live above ground, the bottom line is God has told us that city is going to be a trembling cup to the entire world until Jesus comes again. And so keep your eyes on Jerusalem, keep your eyes on Israel. Because one day, the king's coming back to square it all away. I'm looking forward to that time when he takes care of all the inequity that's going on in the world. And once again, Jerusalem becomes its namesake, the city of peace, amen? Jerusalem. The city that makes for peace. It's not a city of peace. The old city itself is divided into quarters. There's an Arab quarter, an Armenian quarter, a Christian quarter, and a Jewish quarter. And if you walk through, it's the craziest thing in the world. It's not a city of peace. It's a city of great tension. But there will be conditions that will usher in the age of grace. And just so nobody gets the wrong opinion about what God's doing here. He, he reminds us of, of what's going to happen. Jeremiah refers to this time in chapter 3 of the book of Jeremiah. And at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And the nations will be gathered to it. 
For the name of the Lord shall be in Jerusalem, and they shall walk no more in their stubbornness and in their evil ways. Zechariah says the same thing. Haggai says the same thing. Isaiah is going to finish off his book in chapter 66, picturing this, this time one more time. But what you see now is exactly what you would expect to see at a time when these things are not the way they're supposed to be. But here's the, here's the crazy thing. It's not going to come through a peace accord because the UN votes on some resolution. It's not going to come the way the Romans brought peace with, with, with the Pax Romana. It isn't going to come from the Oslo Accords. It's going to come because the Prince of Peace is going to come and make it peace. Verse 5, O house of Jacob, here's the conditions. At the end of the age of grace, now hear this well. These are the conditions at the end of the age of grace. Start asking yourself some questions right now. If you see any similarities whatsoever between what is being said right here and the world that we live in. Ask yourself if you don't see secularism, existentialism, humanism, materialism, the things that kind of govern our world today. Ask yourself if you don't see that in this passage. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord for you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. Now understand that eastern ways in that time meant more than likely Zoroastrianism. It was the worship of the horoscope and the false gods uh, of the peoples of the Near East, not the Far East. It would have been those who were Chaldeans. It would have been the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. It would have been Eastern religions, but nonetheless, they were false gods. How many false gods get worshipped today? Our world, world is filled with them. We even have some of those false gods being called Christianity, like Mormonism, falsely called Christianity. So guys, because it's the church of the latter days of Jesus Christ, you throw Jesus' name in it, well, it's got to be Christian. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. They're pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. I read an article today that Elon Musk is buying up a pretty large chunk of Bel Air. He's buying up mansion after mansion after mansion, trying to make a compound for himself. The house he bought today was $28 million. I'm pretty sure we could do a little better than that, you know, making some homes for some people who really need them, rather than buying up four or five or six or eight more homes so you can have your nice little compound. And I'm not bashing so much Elon Musk as I'm saying, notice what it says. Their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. When we have so much excess that the principal shareholder, more than 50% of Louis Vuitton, is worth over $100 billion. Now, if, if you have a Louis Vuitton purse, sit on it right now. Just hide it so no one sees it. I'm not bashing Louis Vuitton. But I am saying if you can make $100 billion making things 
that are not only not necessities, they're niceties that most of the world's population cannot afford. There's something wrong. Because we got an awful lot of people that don't have enough food to eat. So look at what's being said here. Remember the focus is the last days. Our land is also full of Teslas. There's no end to their beamers. And their land is also full of hedge funds. No, of course, it's in the time that Isaiah wrote. And so his point of perspective, what he saw, what he would have understood, is transportation, horses, chariots. Where were the idols of the people? There were the tools of war. They were power, passion, possession. They worshiped the work of their own hands. We spend hundreds of billions of dollars building buildings that reach into the skies. And they're, they're marvels of engineering. But we literally worship them so much so that there is a competition globally to see who can have the tallest building, to see who can have the grandest bridge. And we forget that people are hungry. And again, nothing against, I love engineering. I'm the guy that watches um, the Engineering Marvel show on Discovery Channel, okay? So I'm not bashing engineering. But what I am saying is when you start to worship those things and people don't have food, there's a problem. It's a problem with God. It's a problem with God. And I think God intended us to actually be able to do both things well. But because the focus is so internal and individual, they worship the work of their own hands, which they've made with their own fingers. Hmm. Sounds like the world we live in, doesn't it? Basically what he's saying is, the last days we're going to have pride of human achievement. There's going to be a great disparity between the rich and the poor. There's going to be a focus on accumulation of wealth, globalism, and there's going to be no regard for God, his people, or for his kingdom. Wow. Verse 9. People bow down. Each man humbles himself, therefore do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord, from the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord is not being exalted. The Lord is being shamed in our day and time. I got a phone call today from a a pastor downtown in L.A., very nice guy, by the way. And he's just going, you know, I noticed I went on your website and it appears that you're actually still teaching the Bible. And I said, well, what else would I do? <laughs> when a pastor calls another pastor and he's amazed that we still teach the Bible, there's something seriously wrong, amen? Yeah. We're exalting everything. One day the Lord's going to bring it low. 
for the day of the Lord of hosts. And again, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord of hosts. These are all the same thing. When you see those terms, watch carefully what's said. Because it's future. It's speaking of what will happen at the very end. It shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up. It shall be brought low upon the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up upon the oaks of Bashan. This is where the false gods were worshipped. They would just go slightly beyond the territory of Dan, modern-day Lebanon, into the foothills. Uh, And they would just simply go there and worship and come back. And they would bring back the worship of the false gods with them. And it's like, well, well, we don't do it here. Upon the high mountains, upon the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, upon the beautiful sloops, upon Carnival and Norwegian cruise lines, and I don't know. And again, I'm really, I am messing with you a little bit when I say those kind of things. But one has to wonder, when we spend $14 billion building cruise ships, one cruise ship, the carnival of the ecstasy of the super amazing sea. You know, they, they keep adding to the names because they get longer and longer and wider and taller. And now there's a water park on one end and Disneyland on the other. If you like cruises, I'm sorry. I'll pick on some other frivolity soon. I'll figure something. But the point is this. He's saying, look, you know, all this trade, and and in this context, the trade that happened in the Mediterranean was substantial, and people gathered tremendous wealth from it. And, And if you controlled the Mediterranean, if you controlled the Aegean Sea, for instance, the Adriatic Sea, you became wealthy. You, you became someone that we would call a, a shipping tycoon or a, a shipping magnet. Upon all their beautiful ships, kind of were down for a, a Dodger game, just saying, this is going to be our year coming up in 2020. May I be a prophet also. Hallelujah. A guy here were down at a Dodger game in San Diego, and if, San Diego, you got to admit, San Diego's Petco Park is really nice. But as you walk along the harbor there, there's a, there's a yacht basin there, and it's where all of the really big yachts, the nice yachts, the four or five hundred million dollar yachts are. And you're sitting there, you're looking at him, you go, some dude actually owns that. It's like it, it's big enough that if you armed it, it could be a naval vessel, you know? And, and, and you're thinking about it. It's like, how did somebody get $400 million to throw it in a hole in the water? That's what boats are, just in case you don't know. They are a hole in the water into which you throw money. We have that kind of excess in our world. It's mind-boggling. And you look, and there's the crew all running around in their nice little uniforms. And, you know, somebody comes by, and they're like, yes, sir. You know, it's like, 
who are they? Well, they own some company. The beautiful ships, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down. The haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone, verse 17 says, will be exalted again, circle it, underline it, in that day. When the Lord finishes with the age of grace, when when he says he's had enough, when the time has come for the king's return, but the idols he will utterly abolish. In other words, after the rapture of the church, after the, the first half of the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, after the Lord... Uh, has allowed the world to come unhinged through the reign of the Antichrist. He's going to come back and he's going to, look, we're going to square this all away. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I, I just want to get some before he comes back. Look, you're, you're going to rule and reign with the king of kings when he comes back. You aren't going to need it. And so the Lord focuses forward into what is still the future for us tonight. Yes, the Antichrist is going to come. He might be alive right now. It's possible. It is possible. I can't tell you for sure. But I know this. I know exactly what he's going to come to do because the Bible tells us. There's going to be a global conflict that global, global conflict will be condensed down to a regional conflict that surrounds the nation Israel. Ezekiel 38 and 39 give us this picture. That global conflict, we actually have the principal players listed in Scripture. And again, you can read it just for something to do later this week. The head of which will be Russia. The rest of the nations are all Muslim nations. Those nations will come against Israel. This man will rise up and actually solve that conflict. He'll put an end to it by making a peace treaty with those nations and Israel. That hasn't happened yet. But I can tell you the stage is set. Anybody find it rather strange that Saudi Arabia didn't respond to Iran launching cruise missiles from its own soil, flying over Iraq and destroying about one-fifth of the world's oil transportation uh, capability? And, and nobody did anything about it? Nobody. Well, you know, cruise missiles, they just do that sometimes. Because everybody hates Israel. Except for the Lord. And the people that are called the Lord's. But one day that little horn that we're going to see coming up in Daniel very, very soon. So join us on Sunday nights. We're studying two books right now that are tremendously uh, companions one to another. Verse 19, they should go into the holes in the rocks and in the caves of the earth for the terror of the Lord. Notice why they go there. For the terror of the Lord, not the terror of the Antichrist, not the terror of war, not the terror of nations, the terror of the Lord. Because your Bible, if you read Revelation chapter 19, when the Lord comes again, he does not come back to be crucified. He comes back as a conquering king, riding on a white horse, his robe dipped in blood, and on his forehead and on his thigh is his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. So he's coming again, 
And he's bringing terror when he comes back for those that are against him. This is why I told you, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. So if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, this stuff probably does kind of freak you out a little bit. It should. If you're here and you know the Lord, you don't have to worry about it because he's not appointed you under wrath but under salvation. You're going to be in heaven. You'll be coming back with him. You'll be part of that mighty army that comes there in Revelation 19. But notice what it says. The terror of the Lord, the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake the earth mightily. When he came the last time, he came humbly, amen? Born in a manger, lived in a sleepy town in Galilee, spent his life doing nothing but good, and was murdered on Calvary's cross for our sins. When he comes back, ain't nobody laying a hand on him. Nobody's going to spit in his face. Nobody's plucking his beard. There will be a fiery sword that comes out of his mouth and before his fiery eyes will go the majesty of the Lord. When he comes back the next time, he's coming back to finish what he started at the cross. In that day, again, circle it, underline it, it's still future. A man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship. To the moles, to the bats, and go into the clefts of the rock, to the crags of the rugged rock, from the terror of the Lord, for the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake the earth mightily. You know, we keep talking about the big one. You got people in the middle of the country going, yeah, pretty soon I'll be able to get some oceanfront property in California because that was going to fall in the ocean. They might be right. Because there's a whole bunch of California that probably needs a good bath. Amen? There's a reason for us to, to really concern ourselves with the things of God. Because our king's coming again. And he's going to shake this earth. The good news is you can make the decision to stay out of that whole mess before he gets here. Sever yourselves from such a man. The person who walks in that way. The person who doesn't care for the poor. The person who has nothing but their focus on riches and fame and fortune and power. And again, that's not against anyone having nice things. I think all of you are quite capable of discerning the difference between complete excess and that which is just the blessing of the Lord. Nothing wrong with being blessed of the Lord. And if you have those blessings, use them for the glory of the Lord. They don't belong to you, they belong to him. But in that day, sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? You know, there's a day when SpaceX is not going to matter, when Tesla isn't going to matter, when Microsoft isn't going to matter, when the city of Los Angeles City Council isn't going to matter, when the White House isn't going to matter, when our Congress isn't going to matter, when the UN is not going to matter, when the World Bank, the World Court isn't going to matter. Because the king's coming. And he's going to rule and reign in righteousness on this earth. And what we do now to see to it that people can come back from heaven with him, 
That's our task while we're still here. Because I can't wait to sit down with Jesus and do a Bible study in Jerusalem. All this stuff that people are accumulating, the Bible says don't even hang around with people that have that stuff. It's not good for you. There's a day coming, folks, and I don't believe it's too far away. I'm not trying to tell you I heard from the Lord that the rapture is going to happen next week, but if the Lord should want to take his church home for a Christmas gift, that would be just fine with me. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer? We're going to have some pastors and prayer team up front, and if you're here tonight, maybe... Now, maybe what I said kind of frightens you because you're not sure what side you'd be on if that day came tonight. Because it could. There's nothing left that has to happen before the Lord takes his church home. There's some things that have to happen before he comes again, but not before he takes his church home. And so if you're here tonight, you, you have not made sure. If, you, if you're not secure in where you're going to spend eternity... The Bible says if you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. That if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, that eternal life is yours. Jesus said himself, it is enough that you believe in me. So if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, then I'm going to invite you to come up and get with one of these pastors and invite Christ into your life right now tonight so you can not worry about it with the rest of us. Because I'm not worried about these things. I am concerned because there are people that don't know the Lord. That's my concern. But I'm not concerned about the end of the world. Because I know the king that's going to be ruling when the end comes. And I'm going to be sitting with him in Jerusalem. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word, the power of it to instruct us and encourage us. And I pray, God, that if there's someone here tonight, Lord, I I don't know hearts, but I know you do. Would you please send the Holy Spirit right now to convict of sin and of righteousness. Lord, that path that's that's not walking with you, but away from you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that you, Holy Spirit, would remind them that you love them and that you're there for them and you will forgive their sin and cleanse their life that you will be their Lord if they'll just simply ask. And for the rest of us, Lord, if there's somebody that's frightened tonight, Lord, we just set their heart at peace. Fill them with joy. Lord, we're going to get to spend a thousand years on this earth while you remake it. Lord, so we get to enjoy it the way you intended. And we're excited about that. Father, we thank you for your blessings in our lives. Lord, thank you for this, this building, Lord, that we can come and gather in. Thank you for the food in our table. Lord, the clothing that we wear, the simple things of life, Lord, the smile of our children, the touch of our spouse, Lord, the people that tonight maybe are are hurting in some way. God, would you be their comfort and strength, strong tower and fortress and mighty one in whom they can trust. Lord, be Jehovah Jireh to those who have need. Lord, be Jehovah Rapha to those who need a healing from you. Lord, touch broken hearts and minds, broken pocketbooks tonight. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our church, in our lives individually. Help us to glorify you always in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.